Are we all doing this morning? This is how I introduce myself. That's the only Southern that I know. <laughs> the first 30 years of my life, I lived in India. Uh, grew up uh, on the mission field with my dad, my hero in the faith, and um, uh, led worship, pastored a church, uh, did church planning ministry, all kinds of different hats that I wore. And then I came to Southeastern Seminary. That's where I met your great pastor, one of the great preachers of the gospel, a genuine real man of God. And those are rare combinations. And uh, so, so immensely blessed to know him. And you've been a big part of my life and ministry, and you've blessed us so richly. And God has done some amazing work since 1998. Things that you saw on video is just humbling to see the nations hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus proclaim in some of the most difficult places of the world. That was in a Muslim neighborhood in Tanzania, Africa, and then in Nepal in an absolute Hindu country. Thousands coming to crisis really gives you the goosebumps. In fact, at the Nepal crusade, we had a Maoist communist who didn't want to identify himself, didn't come to the crusade grounds. We had Dr. Phil Roberts during that crusade, and uh, he was standing on his... Uh, uh, the roof of his house, you know, we have flat roof, uh, not like the ones we have here. And uh, he was listening to the gospel, and God saves unto the uttermost, and he got saved, and he got baptized, standing at a rooftop and hearing the gospel. So no one is beyond God's reach to save, and all that we are called for is to be faithful in preaching the gospel wherever we are, making ourselves part of God's story. So that was in India, thir first 30 years of my life. Then I came to the United States, went to seminary, had a great experience, and um, then pastored a church in Clarksville, Virginia, Gravel Hill Baptist Church, a tiny little church, a big part of my life. They never had a guy with a tan as a member of the church, and here I was a pastor, entire history. And uh, still, they support us. Dr. Danny has preached in that church too, and a great part of our life. Then. We went back to India, and my family's here with me, my wife of 26 years. So I'm not as young as I think I look. <laughs> Bindu has been a great, great partner in ministry, partner in life, and has suffered for the sake of the gospel along with us. And, um, and my wonderful children, Deborah, my daughter, my son Charlie are here, and Abel um, is, you know, in Dallas. And uh, so... We, I thank God for my family. So I took them back to India because I wanted them to be exposed to the culture there and, and be a part of living there and having a heart for the nation. And um, then we chose to come back to the great state of Texas. That's where we have been in the na past nine or ten years and have a, had great friends, great experience, great connections here. And uh, so I tell people when I speak, my English is a real, it's a little bit mixed up. I've got a little Indian accent some southern accent. I've been learning some Texan, which is hard, the hardest of all the languages. I'm kidding. And, um, you know, I'm a, I've got dual citizenship in India and the United States, but I have to leave, live in Texas for 20 years to be a Texas citizen. Still working on it. But uh, it's, I travel about five to six times overseas. In fact, I just came back yesterday from a long flight from India I was in India, in many states in India, went to Nepal, 12 hours by road, real hard travel, went to Egypt, back to India, and back here, and this morning, my wife and I, we and our children drove, got up at four and drove over here, so you got to have a lot of amens going for me to stay awake, okay? Help me out here. 
want to thank God for Pastor Mike and all the great work in this putting up a conference like this is a hard task, and we appreciate your work. And all the missionaries representing different organizations around the world, it's not a one man's job. It takes all of us, a massive number of people, to go out there and win the nations for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are on the winning side. I believe we can help fulfill the Great Commission. I don't know about you all, but in other places that we preach, everyone wants to rush out of service and beat the Methodists to the restaurant. <laughs> These missionaries have worked very hard to set up the tables back there. Please uh, delay your lunch and make sure you go to some of them and encourage them. That's what they need, and we thank you for hosting the host of missionaries that are out here, and thank you, Great Hills Baptist Church, for your faithfulness and the video that you saw and the things that you hear, all these things, you are a big part of that. I'm going to hold off on that picture until the end of my sermon. Uh, that's part of the story, but that's Dr. Forshi right there last November, one of the best pictures we have of our pastor's conference. And I'll come to that story and ask you to bring back the picture up towards the end of the sermon. Um, we have a table back there. My family will be there to help you out. There are newsletters. There's a sign-up sheet, one of the biggest contribution to world missions. Never forget this is you taking those information. And if you cannot give a dime, that's perfectly fine. But you know what the most powerful thing is? Go on your knees, if you can, and bring them to the throne of grace and ask the Lord of the nations to bless them and use them. And that will make the biggest difference. So don't you forget to take some of those resources and immerse yourself in what God is doing around the world. And that's the only thing that is going to last, by the way. Everything else that we enjoy right here, enjoy it as much as you can. But what we take into eternity is the things that we, uh, you know, spend time we spend into God's eternal work. And if that's the clock, 11.41 is the time, right? And I'll try to stay as close to the clock as possible. How about that? We have a table back there, and uh, one of the big ministries that we do, because of our churches, um, we've been there for the last 50 years in northern India. My father's 50th anniversary is this year. And um, so we thank God for my dad's faithfulness. He started this ministry 50 years ago, leaving the southern part of India, which is more Christian, traveling all the way up the north to, with his family. It's a miraculous story because we are based in a state with less than one-half of 1% 1 Christians, pretty much the headquarter of radical Hinduism. And Dr. Forshi has been there. God is doing an amazing work. Right now, we are on a campus training hundreds of pastors through our conferences, the Bible College. We have about 1,500 children. Those children come there. Um, we'll drill water wells, give out bicycles to pastors, construct churches for uh, uh, pastors out there. You know, we're involved in a lot of things, doing everything in our power to see that the gospel spreads. Not only it spreads, but has a beachhead, a permanent place through which the gospel can continue in those cities and towns and villages. We look at our world, we have a long way to go. Over 1.2 billion people in India alone, and out of which 700 estimated 700 million are yet to hear the gospel. So we cannot slow down. The time is to go full-fledged in reaching the nations for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm praying God will use you. And um, we have some information, some children up for sponsorship, and uh, take a moment to go to the table, and uh, we will be blessed, and you will be blessed. This morning, let me go into the message this morning with the time that we have, and I'm going to really rush because it's a large text that I'm going to go through and a, uh, a story of our life about, you know, my dad 
and mom, they, they were raised in the southern part of India, so I'm a southerner from India in the south. You know, double love for me, folks. Raised in a tropical paradise, took this fate step to leave their family against the wishes of their friends and family, travel way up north. And my dad is 76 now. For 18 to 20 years, our family suffered hunger and hardship, pretty much forgotten, and uh, slept on cement floor, um, had torn uniforms for, for several years, and all those hardships, all that my dad could have done was picked up his family, put them back in a train. Nobody was forcing them to stay in this graveyard of a mission in Gujarat, northern India, put that family back on the train and go back to the south, at least feed three decent meals to the children. But the Great Commission kept him there. And the last 10 years, my dad has seen the greatest of results. Uh, he goes to places where I don't go. He goes to out in, into, the, into the villages. The 700,000 people that we talked that are not reached are in the 500,000 villages where living conditions are harsh. They speak different dialects and languages. My dad goes, stays in mud houses with the pastors. Then he has a, a kind of three to five hour evangelism, discipleship kind of combined preaching sessions. Then he takes about 80 to 100 to 150 people into a dirty pond, baptizes them. His feet goes ankle deep in the dirt, they pull him out of that pond, he goes to the next village. At age 76, he's on the forefront of leading world missions and evangelism in one of the darkest and the hardest parts of our world. And you know, he beats me any day with his energy. I don't know where he gets it from. In the last 10 years alone, over 7,000 people have been single-handedly baptized by him. Dad, we say, Dad, slow down. He says, how can I? How can I, with all the opportunities God has for us? So it's never quit is the greatest message my dad can give you. Even in the toughest of times, if you stay faithful, our God will come through. In 1998, this is where the story begins. You know, we were struggling as a ministry. I was in seminary. We took a team of people from seminary, Pastor Shannon Scott, Jared, and we are friends, and uh, uh, with Dr. Forshi, and this was one of the bigger conferences that we held for our pastors. That was a, our vision back then. We didn't have our own campus back then. We rented a place. We invited 500 pastors and leaders to attend a six-day conference, big step of faith. We feed them. We give them to and fro travel and all that, so it's a large undertaking. We still do that even today. And over 650 turned up. That happens in India. People come in uninvited. So what we had to do was put about 150 of our pastors in a school outside the main campus that we had rented. And this was in a, in a school. God began to move. By the third night, we had over 90 professions of faith. Back then, it was a big deal in a city for so many people to come to Christ. But the radical militant groups were watching this event very closely. And by 11 o'clock at night, after our pastors were done and they had shut the doors to go rest, Hundred strong mob of radical militants with sticks, chains, and belts barged, opened the door, came in, pulled the pastors out of the bed, began to beat them with the sticks, chains, and belts. And my mother, you know, is always protective of us. And uh, she said, you know, she, we heard the news, and she said, you know, children, I was there, and uh, she said, children, don't you leave the house. And she wouldn't let my dad go to because she thought she's a woman, she'd be respected. She said, I'll go and handle this. You 
shut the iron bars, you know, lock it, and I'll go and take care of this. And she went and saw these pastors being beaten mercilessly. She began to plead with them. He said, you worship, you know, and you respect animals. These are God's creation here. And why are you beating them? What wrong have they done? And they pretty much spotted her as a leader because we are already marked as a family. It's been a miracle. The Lord has protected us. The last 50 years in the ministry continues because it is God's work and no man can stop it until God says it is done. And uh, my mom went there. She arrested her. And they arrested her and took her to the police station. And uh, she was kept overnight, harassed in the police station. They wanted her to recant her faith, said, we have 330 million gods and goddesses. What is so special about your Jesus that you cannot say that all these gods are same? And why don't you take the name of our gods? You know, my mom is very courageous, and sometimes you have to be aggressive to withstand the persecution. She said, you can cut my throat, but I'll never take the name of another God in my mouth. My voice and my life belongs to Jesus and Him alone. <laughs> kind of a crisis in our ministry, a crossroads that we came at. And I'll stop the story there. And, you know, whenever we come and face those challenges, and all who wants to live godly in this life will face persecution. World missions, evangelism, Christian life, even though you're in, in Austin where, you know, they encourage you to be weird, but they don't want you to be weird Christians. You know, that's not accepted. We are called to stay faithful to the gospel, knowing this, that we have the final victory. We are part of God's story that began in Genesis, but doesn't stop there. It continues until Christ comes back in his glory and his power. The book of Revelation is still written. The book of Acts continues to be progress, and God chooses to use every one of us, ordinary people like me and many of you, to continue his story of bringing the nations to the feet of Jesus. That's what we are about. As we move forward into this world, for the sake of the gospel, realize we will face a lot of challenges, a lot of persecution, but we have the final victory. And whenever we face those challenges, we need to go to the God's Word. So we went to God's Word during that time, and you know, God brought to us Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is going to be our text, and it's a long test. It's from verse 1 to 31. It's a story where the church, as, you, as it began after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, He entrusted the Great Commission to His disciples. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, more than 3,000 people were added. But the church never has a smooth sailing, never, never, never. Jesus said that He will build His church, and every church is His church. And watch this, the gates of hell always try to stop the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we, from Scripture and through history, we realize God has the final say. He will have the final victory. And in Acts chapter 4, the church faces its first real challenge. And here they are, the disciples, brought before the San, Sanhedrin, the supreme council of the Jewish people. It's not a small place like, you know, you and I take into maybe uh, the supreme council in Iran and told to recant the faith or they will kill you or they will, and here they are. 
the first time the church faces a challenge and opposition to their witness, we see what was the reason, and then we will see how they responded, and we will see the result. First of all, we'll see the reason for the world hating us, or the reason for the persecution or the challenge that we face for our faith. Acts chapter 4. It says, now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed, watch this, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. What is the, what is the reason for persecution? What is the reason for them opposing us? One and one thing alone. When we preach Jesus as the only one way, truth, and life, and him preach as the only one who took the sins of the whole world, there is no sacrifice that is offered like the sacrifice, sinless sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's only needed for the remission of sins, and the only one in history that died but rose again from the dead never to die again, and we preach that Jesus. And that's the only reason when you hold on to the exclusivity of the gospel, the world hates us. They want us to say everything is all right, all truth, and all religions take you to heaven. But, you know, there's no one. 412, the disciples said the same thing. What can we do? Our hands are tied. What we have seen, what we have heard, we have to speak. There is no name under heaven given among men whereby men can be saved only through the name of Jesus. Let me know if there is anyone that has the power to save. Any other religion, any other religious book in the world that guarantees salvation and eternal life, except this Bible that you and I hold in my hand, only guarantees us salvation and eternal life. And we cannot but stop speaking the truth. If we stop doing that, you know, we have 1,500 children that we work with. We have drilled over 150 water wells. We have given out bicycles. We have given about 250 sewing machines. If we just keep doing that, they would leave us alone. You're doing a good job. In fact, they will give you an award, us an award for doing all these, we call it transformation projects that we do. But guess what? The only sticking point that they have is don't preach Jesus. That's the problem. That's the challenge that we face. But guess what? The disciples did preach, and then they were called, they were threatened, just like we were threatened in 1998. Our pastors were beaten. These people were threatened to go and never preach in the name of Jesus. And guess what? Look at the response. How do we respond in such situation? Verse, um, verse 23, and being let go, Acts chapter 4, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Watch this, what they did. Verse 24, so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. When they face persecution, when they face challenge, and this is what we need to do. That's why we need Great Hills Baptist Church. That's why every one of us need to be a part of a life group or Sunday school class or whatever you call that. We need to go back to our own companions, and that's what they, they did. They went to their own companions. We need a life group to share the challenges, and there are different types of challenges. There are many sitting here. You are facing this coming week. 
Pastor Mike is going through a knee surgery. I know there are things in your life. Last week, one of our dearest friends from the church that I pastored, she wanted me to be at the funeral. I was in India. I could not. Bindu went there. Died with cancer at the age of 49, but died with hope. So there are challenges facing you right now. There are silent cries coming out of this place saying, who will hear me? Guess what? The body of the Lord Jesus Christ is closer than a relative or a friend. Yes, you have companions right here, and we need to build that trust with one another where people can come and share their heart and find comfort and fellowship and strength. But more so what they did was very important. They, in the midst of the challenges, looked to God. They went to God in prayer. And that's what we are given, you know, in every life circumstance we face. This is the bottom line. We need to understand that we have a God like they recognized. They said, Lord, you are God. And that word over there, despotis, is a, is a word that is not commonly used, only twice in Scripture. That word means, Lord, you are the absolute master, absolutely sovereign over everything. There is no situation in your life, my life, in our entire world, political or personal, that God cannot solve. He's wringing his hand, he's pulling his hair. My God is in charge, and his purpose is to glorify his son through your life, through every circumstance. And they realized that during the time of the crisis, they went to the Lord in prayer. And prayer, some, some people think, is not to change God's mind or to change God. Prayer is to change us. Prayer helps us realize that we need to move beyond ourselves, trusting in our own strength and completely trusting in what God can do for us. In the last 50 years, if you look at our ministry, as we went through many crossroads, many types of hunger, hardship, and persecution, my dad is a man of prayer. Even today, he spends about two hours in prayer. He comes to visit his grandkids, you know, comes to our home. He's in his room praying for an hour, hour and a half, and my kids have never seen a man pray so much. And that has helped this ministry through. I tell you, it works, and we have seen that happen in our lives. In fact, growing up, he always said, you know, you need to pray for the world, pray for the continents, pray for America. He made us pray for America from California to Maine when we did not know Maine was a state of America. <laughs> But we did pray, all the 50 nations. We live in the greatest nation civilization has ever seen, folks. And I know there are challenges out there because 90% of all missions work that happens anywhere in the world through any organization comes out of this great nation. And you all are a part of that, and God bless you. And may he strengthen our hands to do more. And at the end of the service, I believe you'll have the greatest pledge you ever had in this church as we will, it's a sacrifice to give, just like God asked Isaac to be put on the altar. You put your Isaac on the altar for the glory of God, and he will provide for you. And that's what we're going to see this, this at the end of the service. So here you, here you go. They went to the Lord, and watch this. They quoted Scripture. Sometimes, uh, you know, most times our prayers are hollow. We got to base our prayers on the promises of God. We know that his promise, he's there all the time. So that's what they do. In verse 25, they said, you know, out of your mouth, your ser uh, mouth of your servant David, you have already said these things. Psalm 2 is a great psalm. It's a messianic prophecy. 
It shows that God has already promised the nations that all these missionaries are working in, he has already promised it to his son, I'm going to give. The nations may rage, they may try to come up with an opposition to the gospel, but God will finally win. Ours is the final victory because he already promised the nations to his son. Ask of me, he said, I will give the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. So the kings of the earth and those who stand against the gospel stand in vain. They cannot win. That's what they prayed. And for every situation that you face, God is enough. God is your Jehovah Jireh. He provides every need that you have. He's Jehovah Shalom. He gives you peace when you need it. He's Jehovah Sitkenu. He's your righteousness. When Satan pits puts guilt on you, tell him you're covered with his righteous robe. When you need his healing, his Jehovah Rapha, your healer. Every situation in your life, claim who God is. Trust in his absolute sovereignty, and he will see you through. So they prayed. They did not pray persecution should be taken away. Hardships to be taken away. You know what they are praying? Powerful, verse 30, by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They said, God, all that we want you, you to do is stretch forth your mighty hand over our situation. That's all you need to pray this morning. Lord, stretch forth your mighty hand. Pharaoh and his army may be behind you. The Red Sea might be in front of you. But the God who can part the Red Sea stretches forth his hand over your life when you call out to him and tell him, Lord, you're absolute sovereign over my life absolute sovereign over my life. Look at the result. You saw the reason, how they responded. Look at the result. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God with boldness. So they threatened them. They said, you know, once we threatened them, they Bring them before the Supreme Council. You know, we can stop the gospel in its tracks. But they had a living God who was with them, and they trusted in God through prayer. And when they prayed, here's what God gives. He doesn't give them a new, you know, card with a powerful name or some political power that they can trust on or some weapons to fight the enemy. He gives them the greatest resource available to a child of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity who dwells in you and he empowers you just like he told them in Acts 1.8. All that you need when I send them, send you to a difficult, challenging world with a challenging task, my power is enough and the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in you is going to empower you and see you through every life circumstance and that's exactly what they did. They were empowered, spoke the word of God with boldness. Time is running out. Let me take you quickly through a brief history. John MacArthur says in Acts chapter 4, the church was at a crossroads. Watch this. All of church history, he says, hinged upon the response of the disciples, response of the first century Christians to the first crisis that they faced. And aren't you glad they responded right? They did not say that we're going to sh shut down. We're going to go down and hide ourselves, and, and we're going to, you know, be, go back to Galilee and shut our shop and, and uh, you know, 
wait for a good time to do this. No, they said, no. The Holy Spirit empowered them, said they continued to be faithful. The gospel began to spread. In Acts chapter 8 to Samaria, God touches a man who thought he would stop the gospel and the advance of the church in its tracks, a man called Saul who got converted, became Paul, became the greatest missionary the world has ever seen, and the gospel began to spread. And eventually the gospel was taken to Rome. Guess what? There were challenges against the Christian church, against believers in Rome. For the first three centuries under uh, Nero and Diocletian and Domitian, all these emperors, Christians were brutally persecuted. People put on stake like Jesus, crucified, burnt alive, children fed to the beast. Imagine being in those times, and yet they would not recant their faith. What the Roman Empire thought was they would stop Christianity in its track by unleashing persecution. Guess what? As Tertullian, the early church father said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You cannot stop the church because God is with his church. And guess what? In the fourth century, Constantine, the great emperor, declared Rome to be a Christian nation. What they hated became the official religion of Rome. But like any period through history, when there is easy times, the church dies. In prosperity, we take it easy. But when there is adversity and persecution and challenge, the church thrives. And that's what happened to the Roman church. They lost the gospel. And then for many years, there was a dark period, dark ages. But guess what? God is not done. In the 16th century, he raises a German guy called Martin Luther. He says, my time has come for the church to awake from its sleep. And then he stands up, only by faith and only through the word of God can one be saved. And guess what? He started that reformation and the gospel began to spread again. The church rose again from its dullness and from its sleep. Then came the challenge, not of just persecution, but came the challenge from the intellectual side during the Renaissance and the Enlightenment period. There are great philosophers that came up like Descartes and Immanuel Kant and Voltaire, you know, they said, you know, God is dead or, you know, there's, how can you prove the existence of God? They began to question God and not only question God and people like Voltaire said, you know, people will stop reading the Bible, maybe during his lifetime. Guess what? He was wrong. I hold in my Bible, a guy from India, the living word of God, the Bible is still here. They wanted to stop with the intellectual barrage that came against the church, but God said, I'll continue my work. The gospel continues to spread. When I travel all across India, I was in Nepal, where we had 40 people go into the waters of baptism in a beautiful river near a mountainside. Guess what? The work of the gospel is still being done against all opposition. Let me go back to the story. 1998, we were attacked. What they meant for evil, God turned it for good. More people began to know about our ministry and pray for our ministry after we were attacked in the United States and around the world. And what they thought that would shut down the gospel spurred one of the greatest revivals of all that God is still moving through this ministry. I remember it was not the end of the story. The pastors were beaten, as I told you. Many of them had broken bones. They had uh, come on crutches. Their wives were with them. We asked some of them to go back to their village and recoup. They said, no, we came here for the conference. We're going to finish the conference. Sunday morning, we had one of the greatest services that I was ever a part of. 
All these pastors were beaten up. The guests from the United States, we all joined together. We had a three and a half hour service without a water break. Most Baptists would not have survived. There were testimonies. My mom came and testified. These pastors on their crutches said, thank God we were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. We are indeed willing to lay down a life for Jesus. All heaven broke loose. Dr. Bill Bennett, the chaplain of the seminary was there. He said, I've preached Acts, I've read Acts, I've prayed Acts, but I've never seen Acts happen. Just like Acts 431, the Holy Spirit filled the church in India against the persecution that they unleashed on us. And guess what? When we thought we would close shop, we were looking at what we're going to do for the future, God started blessing. And as I said, my dad has baptized over 7,000 people, more than 2,000 church planning stations, over 1,500 children that are raised in the Word of God. And guess what? We were in a rented place in 1998. Today, God has given us a three and a half acre campus in that state, one of the larger Christian campuses there. Dr. Forshi was there. You cannot beat God, God's work. Can you show the pictures? That's the picture. The conference and the pastors still are on the cutting edge of taking the gospel. And we put up a big tent for our conferences. This is in a Muslim neighborhood. I don't have time to explain all that. Can you roll the films? And that's um, my dad over there in the middle. Um, he's the Protestant Pope of India. I'm not just <laughs> And guess what? They thought we'll be done. This is what's gonna happen on campus. This is my dad's dream. And we are looking at having this building project done, and hopefully many of you can come, Dr. Forshi can come back. In two years, we are praying that this building will be up with classrooms, with a children's center, and with an auditorium that can seat over 1,200 pastors. We have not stopped, we are moving forward because it's God's work and we will continue to advance till Christ comes. Let me close with this. We live in difficult times. And when you look around, things are shaping up like the worst of times where people say they haven't seen this in their lifetime. Political crisis in America and around the world. People are wondering what's gonna happen, the nuclear deal that we signed with Iran and the crisis in the Middle East with ISIS unleashing persecution. I was in Egypt last week. The 21 Christians that were beheaded for their faith they were called crusaders, and they were beheaded because of that. Thinking that ISIS would stop the advance of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what? Here's my perspective based on scripture and based on my experience. Yes, things are gonna get worse, but guess what? All of history, as I recounted it briefly, is his story, and nobody can stop the advance of the church. And all of history is moving in one direction. You know where it's going? I'm not looking for the terrorists to have a dirty bomb or a nuclear bomb unleashed someplace in the world and the world coming to an end. No, I'm not looking forward to that. And you may hear rumors of war and wars out there, but all of history is moving towards one great event. It's gonna be the coronation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ coming in all his power and glory. No president holds our future, no politician holds our future, and no radical organization holds our future. Our future is in the hands of Jesus. And you and I, you and I, 
We are called to be faithful. We are called to be God's story. All that is asking us to stay faithful just like Christians have for the last 2,000 years. We are at a crossroads. He is asking each one of you, what are we going to do? Persecution may come in the United States. Opposition may come. But this morning as Pastor Danny comes up and gives you the invitation, I believe the altar is going to be full. Every one of you, we're going to draw a line in the sand and say, as for me and my house, walk with your children, walk with your wife. We're going to come here and say, Lord, I pledge allegiance to you. And against all challenges, against all odds, I'll do everything in my power to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ until every nation hears and Christ comes back in his glory. I will do my part. And that's all God, God is asking you today, Pastor Danny. In Acts chapter 4, and as he said at the conclusion, at this time we are going to have our invitation. And so uh, what we'll do is I'm going to say a, a brief prayer, and as I'm praying, the missionary is going to come and stand before us. I've got my card. My wife and I have filled this out, not only monetarily, but also our availability. And I'm going to just turn it over uh, like this. I'm just going to put it right here. And that's all you need to do. You just stand in a moment, fill it out, and just drop it here on the, uh, on the altar. And as you're here, uh, please take a moment, just speak a word of blessing to these uh, precious missionaries that God has not only brought to Great Hills, but He's also allowed us uh, to, to, to partner with them. To, you say, well, how, what does that partnership mean? It, well, a lot of it means money. You say, well, where do you get the money? This right here. Uh, this is not in our budget. This is above our budget. And so we're asking you to give and, and support that. And Finney, as you were showing that picture, I appreciate that vision, that dream that, of your, um, your, your dad's, of that beautiful chapel. And, um, and we, we, we look forward to what God's going to do for that. Church family, that's, that's why I just am looking forward to the day. We, we're paying off this house so that we can build other houses. That was a good point to say, Hallelujah, Brother Danny. Amen. Paying off this house. This is a big house, and we're paying it off. Talk to you more about that in the, in the next few weeks. Paying this thing off so we can build other houses for the gospel. So y'all ready for the invitation? All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray as I'm praying. Missionaries, you guys come on. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for a powerful message from a man of God who not only believes it, but he also lives it. And I just thank you for Finney and for Bindu and their precious family. And I pr thank you for Cherion Matthews. Thank you for that man of God planting those 7,000 churches. Pray blessings on him. And Lord, I also pray that our people would just um, sense you, the Holy Spirit, speaking to them. And that they, Lord, they would commit and they would be faithful to take the gospel to the nations. Lord, I pray there be no fear. I pray that, God, you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, dunamis, power and love and a sound mind, a full, solid conscience. So I pray now that you bless this invitation, and we pray it in Jesus' name. God bless you as you come. Amen.